This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey everyone, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and you notice I'm here without my co-host, Tyler Hurley, today, um, and it's not his fault. It's actually my fault. He's not on vacation or anything, but I have to record from home today, and we couldn't work it out to where he could come over. So anyway, it's just me. If you want to turn it off right now, I completely understand, <laughs> and you can let Tyler know that you miss him and you love him, but you do not want to turn it off, because today uh, we have a really special guest with us, somebody that I'm excited to interview i've known kyle i think since 2002 is when i moved down here to go to school and i think you were at school when i started my freshman year but our guest today is uh kyle de roberts he is very prestigious he is a phd from dallas he's the department chair and associate professor of biblical and theological studies at arizona christian university which is both of our alma mater uh he's an adjunct professor at phoenix seminary and he's also the director of the minister in residence and internship program at Scottsdale Bible Church. He's also married, he has kids, and he just wrote a book. And so Kyle, welcome to Christ Culture and Coffee. I'm glad you're here, bro. Robbie, it's so good to be with you. All right. Thanks for having me on. So Kyle, uh, I don't know, you've probably listened to every single episode of our show because it's just riveting and you don't have anything else going on in your life but to listen to us. I'm Not just only kidding. that, I've listened to it twice. Yeah, whatever. Twice. Okay, Everyone yeah. twice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but anyways, at the beginning of every show, we always talk about uh, coffee and we give a coffee tip. But when we have guests on, we like to ask our guests what kind of coffee they like and if they even like coffee. So Kyle, let's start with the all-important question. Do you enjoy the greatest beverage on earth, coffee? You know what? I do. And for a while, I was like the biggest letdown of a PhD student because everyone walked around with like a drip system of coffee into their veins (laughs) as they were going through seminars. And I just had my cup of coffee in the morning and then that was it. Well, later in life, right? Three kids later, three boys later. uh, If I don't have another cup of coffee at around three o'clock every day, it's I'm toast. I'm in bed by (laughs) seven o'clock. I have nothing left to give humanity. And so I have become a a lover of coffee. However, I bought my wife coffee this morning and her drink at Starbucks cost $7. What? And I said, Seven bucks? What did you just charge Holy me cow. for this coffee? Yeah. Yes. Dude, inflation's crazy right now. That's ridiculous. It, I was, I was in shock. But so what I've been drinking lately though, um, is uh, dirty chai. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's really good. Yeah, so I've been I've been trying that out at different coffee shops, and uh, and and that's that's been kind of my go-to afternoon. It's just something nice just to sip on and keep myself awake. That's awesome, man. I like dirty chai. So what's that other name for them? They have another name for that. Um, I don't know. I got I got intimidated enough when they're like, "Well, how many shots of espresso you want?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I don't know. I'm just ordering a dirty chai." Like. Whatever you normally put into it. Yeah. My wife's like, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I think that they call them a Himalayan hammer some places. Like that's what – it's just really? like the name for a dirty try. I think so. One of my friends had to explain it to me once. I had no idea what it was. But well, anyway. Great. Yeah, it's a cool name. Well, dude, that's awesome. So I'm glad you like coffee. I'm glad we can continue with the interview. One time we had a guy <laughs> come on and he didn't like coffee, but he tried to redeem himself. And he's like, but I like how it smells. I was like, oh, come on. We're still friends, but anyway. All right. Well, Kyle, you just came out with your first book. I got a copy of it right here. 
It is The Secret to Prayer by Kyle DeRoberts. Um, if you haven't got this book yet, I know a lot of our listeners have, but if you haven't got this yet, you need to go and pick this up. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes for it and all of that. But also, we will be doing a special giveaway of this book. So make sure you're watching our social media this week for how you could win a special giveaway of Kyle's book. But Kyle, let's talk about this. Why did you write this book? Like what inspired you to write this book on prayer? You know, Robbie, I was doing some research on a different project and I came across this quote by Andrew Murray. Mm -hmm. And uh, this quote said, uh, the secret of secrets, humility is the soul of true prayer. And when I read that quote, I don't know if you've done this before, but sometimes you just read things and and there's an just an immediate response to it to where I thought to myself, you and I are going to spend some time together at some point in our <laughs> lives here, and I just don't know when. And and when I finished up these other projects, I went almost immediately back to my notes, went immediately back to the quote, and and then I took up the task where I where I read the Bible from beginning to end with that as kind of my lens. Mm. Uh, that the secret of secrets, humility is the soul of true prayer. And it was just remarkable at every twist and turn, uh, the emphasis that God places on um, on our heart, on the humility of our heart as it relates to prayer. And ultimately, uh, that's what he cares most about, more than what we sound like, more than what we look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, he cares about our heart and, and and the heart that is producing the very things that we pray about. And and so, yeah, that's that was, that was a really big reason why. And then, you know— my kids are growing and I don't know if this is weird, but you know, it's, I, I wanted them to have something from their dad. You know, I, mm-hmm. I wanted, I, I, it's not if, but when life gets hard, uh, I want them to pray and I want them to develop a, a prayer habit, a prayer lifestyle. Yeah. And, uh, and so I wanted them to always be able to find dad and to know what dad thought about prayer and what was important to him as it related to prayer. And so, you know, that it kind of served a dual purpose in that regard. That's awesome, man. So, um, the secret to prayer, like you said, is it's humility, right? Humility is everything in prayer. And so I've loved reading this book and, um, actually I'm going through it with our small group, uh, from our church at my house on Wednesdays. And dude, it's just really insightful, um, how every chapter really gets back to that humble heart. You got to have a humble heart. Um, and that's the beginning of a, a vibrant prayer life. So I loved it. Um, so when, when you set out to write this book, like who did you have in mind to, to read this? Who do you want to read this? Who's the audience for this book? Yeah. Everything that I've written in the past has been highly academic and, and that's good and it's, it's profitable and it, and it services the church. But this book was different in that, um, you know, my audience that I was envisioning as you're writing was my kids. It was my wife mm. Uh, it was my dad. My dad has always complained about never being able to understand all the other things that I've written because they're so <laughs> academic. And um, and 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 it was my the congregation at my church and the people that I was ministering to. I mean, this was a book that 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 was written for um, for everyone. Like I, I want anybody to like. It was great. I, I met a gal in the cafe. Uh, at church just a little bit ago, I, I, she, we bumped into each other and she said, Hey, I've, I've so enjoyed reading the book. Uh, and she goes, I don't even like to read, but it's, it's been so fun to read this book because the chapters are short and, and I can work through it at my own pace. And I was just in my head, I was thinking this is perfect. This is exactly 
um, who I wrote this book for. And, and so that's, I would say that's, that's primarily my audience. That's awesome, man. So that's what I've gotten to from reading it and talking with other people from church is they say, I've written, I've read other books on prayer and I don't understand them a lot of times. And that this book is understandable, um, for lay people in the church, which I think is just awesome, man. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're living in a, <laughs> we're living in the midst of a pandemic and, and, and part of, the, the timeliness of this book is that there are a lot of people that are that have been living in isolation for a long time. Mm-hmm. And and part of my heart was always, you know, I, I, I would just long for people to be back together uh, in the church and flesh and bone to flesh and bone and and praying together and reading God's word together. But that just hasn't been feasible for many. And 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 it breaks my heart thinking that there's some people that are sitting at home wanting to pray, not knowing how to pray. Uh, and so yet they're just going to wait until they can come back to church one day and then maybe they'll start praying again. And so there's this big, there's this big gap and this, this time loss with the Lord to where I I want people to understand that this is, this isn't as complex as we've made it to be that, that prayer just might be somewhat simplistic. However, to live it out takes some effort, right. And Mm -hmm. to take some work to figure out what kind of heart you have. But, but really we have you and I, and anybody listening, we have all the things necessary in order to pray right now because we've got a heart. And so as long as we can figure out what's going on in our heart, I think we're well on our way to praying. Yeah. Well, so you you hit on this idea of um, people being at home, not praying, not engaging with it. What do you think are some of the struggles that Christians have when it comes to prayer? And then how did you try to address those specific issues with this book? Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, I love your insight too, just, you know, being around the church as well. But, you know, so many people have a complex when it comes to prayer. Like they, they, they understand, they, they understand the general idea behind it. But when it actually comes to praying, you know, it's, you know, when you get in certain social settings, they're like, well, let's have so-and-so pray or, you know, what, what about, you know, you can pray or I always love praying with them, you know? And so what we do is we end up comparing ourselves to other followers of Christ and say, well, I don't sound like them or I don't, I don't, I don't look like them when I pray, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not on my knees or my hands, you know, aren't lifted high or they're not folded or I don't know, are my eyes supposed to be closed? Are they supposed to be open? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you go through all of these and before you know it, um, it, it almost serves as some kind of like a spiritual paralysis. And so we never take up praying and we just figure, well, that's just for somebody else. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. And, and so like in the introduction to the book, I, you know, I treat, uh, I talk about, um, illness as opposed to a symptom, mm. you know, you go to the doctor and you've got these symptoms of this virus. Well, do you want your doctor to treat the symptoms or would you rather the doctor treat <laughs> the actual illness itself to get rid of the symptoms? Sure. And, and so we kind of, we, we play around with that, that illustration a little bit, but hopefully, um, this book will service as not just a treatment of symptoms so much so as it actually gets to the illness, the root of prayer, mm-hmm. uh, which is our heart. And so I, I really, I really work off of this thesis that uh, the heart is the actual wordsmith uh, producing the words that we use in prayer. It it, it produces the heart produces the very um, visible manifestations you see of prayer. So mm-hmm. so long before somebody kneels to pray, um, it's the heart which is producing that. And so reorganizing someone's brain. Uh, to begin to think of prayer in terms of the heart rather than just the behavior. Mm-hmm. My hope is that will then free more people up to pray rather than to just look with envy or listen with envy to others that pray. 
Yeah, it's so interesting because, um, like, because I, because I think both of us were raised in the church, right? We were both grounded in Christianity from the time we were little, and just taught, like, I mean, I was always taught you can just talk to God whenever you want, like, it's no big deal. But then, as I got older, I've met people who came to know the Lord later in life, and they don't like that idea is kind of foreign to them. And I've tried to place myself in their shoes because because they go to church and they hear you know professional prayers up on stage <laughs> saying all these words that they don't know and this big vocabulary. And so I've tried to think about it from that perspective, and it, it would be intimidating to be like, how do I do this thing? What's the formula? How, what's the posture? What, what does this mean when it comes to prayer? And I've actually talked with a lot of people who do struggle with that, um, especially like and, – and then it's weird because for me, I go, it's just talking to God. Like you say whatever you want. Like just talk to God. But from their perspective, like we're coming at it from totally different places. And so I don't know, man, I've also been uh, interested like how, you know, because I've been a pastor, I've been working in churches for 16 years. And so, you know, this, like when you go places, you're the professional prayer, like, Hey, Kyle's here, Kyle, will you pray for us? And it's like, man, anybody can pray for us. <laughs> like, it doesn't like all of us are professional Christians. And so I love the idea that you are really trying to, to, to push, like, listen, it's about the heart. It's not about the mechanics. It's not about the flowery language. It's not about the length. It's not about the shortness. It's not about on your knees, in your car. It's about your heart and having a humble heart. So that's really been beneficial for people in my small group and other people in church I've talked to that are reading through this too. So I really appreciate this book a lot, man. I think it's helping a lot of people see, like you said, it's not so complex. It's a lot simpler uh, than sometimes it's made out to be. I appreciate that. And you know, you, Robbie, you make me even think of, you know, some of the some of it's all for because you know we what we had like the Lord's Prayer and we've got these example. A lot of people pray through Scripture, mm-hmm. and so I mean we I think with really good intentions we've made prayer so formulaic mm-hmm. um, as as such a component to like a religion so to speak, yeah. and and we've really missed that relational component where actually God created you and me and and these listeners right mm-hmm. created us in His image. Um, not to all sound the same, but to speak our own very language, right? To speak out of our own experiences yeah. uh, to God. And that's a, I think that's a much healthier and, and honestly, I think a much freer uh, place as a Christian, knowing that that I get to go to God and and I get to just, I get to talk to him how, how I talk. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily, I don't need to sound like someone else. Yeah. It's so, funny. Yeah. It's, it's always funny to me how like, again, the, these just, these are cultural things, I guess, Christian subculture, but like, you know, when, when you hear people giving flowery prayers a lot of time, not all the time, but a lot of time, especially when I was a kid, they would speak in like King James English mm-hmm. and you just go, you know, like, and so people get this conception like, oh, that's how you do it. And it's like, well, for the first 1600 years of church history, nobody did it like that. <laughs> like it wasn't even around, but oh, yeah. we do, we complicate it with so many really strange things. And so, yeah, I think getting back to the simplicity of talking to God, uh, like you say in your book, like he's your dad, right? He's a dad who cares about you and he just wants to hear your heart and hear where you're coming from. So let's talk about this. So why do you, why do you think it's so important for Christians to focus on having the right heart posture over saying the correct words like you you make some really interesting points in your book about 
why it's vital for us to have this humble heart and how we can appear to, but not, or we can not appear to, but we actually do. And so I think that that's kind of an interesting thing to talk about when it comes to prayer. Yeah. You know, um, I, one thing that's always come up is, okay, so give me like a definition of prayer or give me a definition of, um, humility or what it means to have a humble heart. Mm -hmm. And so me, I always function off of a, a rather, I think, I think it's pretty consistent theologically, but it's also not overly complex where for me, humility is just having a right understanding of who God is in light of who I am. Yep. And so now that puts me in a humble posture before the Lord, because now as I'm praying, Okay, so I understand who God is in light of who I am. So God knows everything, and I don't, right? God's ways are always better than my ways, right? Mm-hmm. If it is a no, uh, I understand that that there must be a reason behind this. Maybe even it exceeds my own ability to understand this, right? Because yeah. there's a there's a division here between the Creator and the creature, and so for me, having having that proper understanding forms the basis for then how we approach God. And I also think what it does is it breaks down a cultural, um, a subculture of Christianity where, you know, if, if I were to go to your church uh, and I say, well, I, you know, and if I introduce myself or through the course of a conversation, I describe myself as humble, mm-hmm. you would probably be like, that dude's pretty prideful. He just <laughs> called himself humble. Sure. But see, I understand what they're saying because right, but there's this there's this perception that just by admitting that you're humble, mm. uh, you are not humble, and that you're prideful, and therefore you could never achieve what I'm even trying to get at in the book. Yeah, but but I, I don't I don't buy that. I actually think that's that's not accurate because God actually acknowledges that people sinners, by the way, um, that sinners are humble, like mm-hmm. that, that there are actual biblical characters who, who pray and talk to God out of a place and out of a posture of humility from their heart. Yeah. But I think what they're doing though is, is when you get to the root of it, they all understand who God is in light of who they are. And so that's why Solomon will pray things like, Lord, so I built this temple, but, but can you even dwell here? I mean, I'm <laughs> asking you to dwell here, but can you, I mean, can we, we can't make something that you can live in and yeah. dwell in and your presence be in. Um, and so, so what I need us to do as you're reading this book is, is, is to embrace that there is a reality in which you can achieve humility. Like you can mm-hmm. have a humble heart. That doesn't mean you're sinless or that you're perfect. It just means that you have a right understanding of who God is mm-hmm. in light of, in light of who you are. And, and, and from that foundation, now we can build whatever structure that is as it relates to praying and how to pray and when to pray and how often to pray and those types mm-hmm. of things. But I need that to be our baseline when it comes to prayer, which I do think is different. Yeah, that is different, man. And you're right about people thinking, well, there's all these passages where God tells us to humble ourselves. And then a lot of times, like you said, we have this perception that we can't really do that. And it's like, why would God be telling us to do something that it's not possible for us to even do? Um, And so I think that you're right about that. Like humility is something that we can achieve in the sense, not not perfectly and and we'll still be sinners, but um, we can have a humble heart. One of the things that really bugs me a lot of times is when people have like a self-deprecating view of themselves and they think that's humility because you're right. Humility is having a true appraisal of who you are in light of who God is. And so to, to, to self-deprecate is actually an affront to who God made you to be. Um, so I think that that's the, that's like the hard part of the human condition is we either want to be more arrogant and prideful than we are, 
or we want to demean ourselves and not be who we are. And God says, no, just <laughs> like you said, just be humble, just be here in the middle. And that place is where uh, prayer has to grow from, which, yeah, I love it, man. So let's talk and, and go ahead. No, no, you're good. You're good. Keep going. So I wanted to talk a little bit because uh, your past, your chapter on James was just really interesting to me. And I'd never seen the book of James in the way you proposed it as like James is talking a lot about prayer. So can we talk about that a little bit? I'd love for you to just share with our listeners your take on this and then what you, what you see in, in the scripture. Yeah. So James, so that's part four of the book. And so parts three and four of the book deal with confessionary prayer. And, and in part three, we, we, we spend a long, uh, uh, most of our time in first John and we look at John's admonishment that we are to confess our sins to God. And that when we do confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we once were unrighteous, but due to our confession, we're made righteous. Mm -hmm. And by being made righteous, it actually serves as it relates to our fellowship with God. It actually restores us back to the light. And in God, there is no darkness. So if you want to have fellowship with God, you have to meet him on his terms, which is light. Mm -hmm. And so the way in which you do this is one, you live obediently, right? Good luck, right? Yeah. We'll all be praying for you. <laughs> yeah. Or, or two... Um, as you sin, you confess your sin and then, and then you're, you're cleansed of that unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So then you kind of fast forward and you go over to James. Well, hold on one part. second. Cause I do yeah. want to say this cause in your book, you did a masterful job before you get to that section on first John, you have like a little one page disclaimer saying, Hey, listen, this isn't about how you go to heaven. That's about belief uh, in yeah. Jesus. But first John's about fellowship with God as a Christian confessing our sin keeps us in good fellowship. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. So, so in first John, I, I think the audience of first John is Christians. Mm -hmm. And I think, so what I was trying to do in that introduction to that part is to say, please do not read this as, as it relates to salvation or soteriology. Yes. I think it's all about sanctification. It's all yep. about this process whereby we become more like Jesus and less like ourselves. where, where mm -hmm. we deepen our relationship with God and and as Christians, um, sin can prevent us from doing that, from from deepening yes. this relationship with God. So I really tried to do my best to draw a line between that to say, please read part <laughs> uh, three uh, with the right lens because it's not about salvation; it's about yeah. sanctification. And because and then he starts off in First John one and he says, look. Um, God is God is light, right? And in him is no darkness at all. Mm -hmm. and, and John is basically positioning the believer to help us understand that based on our sin nature, um, we're in darkness, right? So when we sin, we're in darkness. Mm -hmm. And when we're in darkness, because God is light, we can't have fellowship with him. And so then that kind of then spirals into what we just talked about before. Yes. That, that ultimately, yeah, we're, we're getting to a place where we're confessing our sins and then we're forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and therefore we're made righteous. Mm. So that's important, though, before you go on to James, because yes. when you get to James, James in chapter five, I think the whole book can be read prayerfully, like 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 you noticed. And so mm -hmm. the whole book can be read prayerfully. I focus on James chapter one and James chapter five quite a bit. Um, but in James chapter five, James does something different than John because James tells us to confess our sins to one another. In mm. James five sixteen, he says, "Right, confess your sins to one another." Yes. So now we've got to figure out: well, which one is it? Is it John and we confess our sins to God, or is it James and we confess our sins to one another? Mm. 
And and I actually think what James is doing is actually saying the same thing as John, but he's just getting there differently. Um, James is a unique figure. Right? He was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he His big brother uh, was Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eusebius wrote about James and described him right as having knees as as, as like a camel mm-hmm. because they were so callous because he would continually go into the temple and pray for his people, pray for himself, right, confess his sin. Mm-hmm. So this was James was a guy who said, you know, didn't just say I'm I'm I'll be praying for you, but James actually did pray for you. Yes. And so you have to kind of understand that's a big theme of just and that, that's a driving kind of theological principle for James, this idea of prayer. Mm. So then you get to James 5.16 and he says, confess your sins to one another. And what I ultimately try to argue in part four is to say, hey, I think what James is saying, because he describes a righteous person, that a righteous person possesses the, 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 the prayer of faith. Mm-hmm. And, and this particular prayer, it's very powerful and it's working because it comes from a righteous person. Well, this is why John becomes so important to us, because back in John, um, he tells us how to achieve righteousness. Uh, it's through confessing our sins. And mm-hmm. so as we're cleansed of unrighteousness, we're, we're made righteous. Mm. So for James to achieve righteousness, it's the same as John, right? Mm-hmm. You either yeah. achieve it obediently or you achieve it through your confession. So then why does John James, though, tell us to confess our sins to one another? Yeah, and nobody well, likes I that think, verse, by the way. Everyone's no, freaked no, out about it. I, like, yeah. I, I, I think I titled that chapter, You Go First, right? Because I'm just mm-hmm. like, all right, if we're talking about confession, I'll, I'll listen to you tell your sins first, Robbie, <laughs> and then I'll decide how deep I want to tell you of my sins. Sure. So, but I think what James is doing is is he knows he's not his older brother. Mm. See, because Jesus could know what was in the heart of man and woman. Mm-hmm. Just being in their presence, he could know what was in the heart of man and woman. Well, James can't do that. Mm. And so I think by giving the admonishment to confess our sins to one another, James was actually helping us understand who in our midst might possess powerful prayers because they're righteous. Not because they're perfect, but because they've confessed their sins. Yeah. And so James says, hey, pay attention to those in your church who confess their sins mm. to one another, because there's probably a good likelihood that if they're confessing their sins to one another, that they've already confessed their sins to God. Yeah. And if they've already confessed their sins to God, that means that they've been cleansed of unrighteousness, which means not that now that now they're righteous, which means now their prayers, according to James, are powerful in their working. Mm-hmm. And then James also gives the other admonishment and he says, pay attention to those in your midst that are unwilling to confess their sins to Mm -hmm. one another because he's suspicious that perhaps that individual is unwilling to confess their sin to one another because they have never confessed that sin to God. And so because they've never been forgiven, now they're worried about another human being, right? But when you've been forgiven, when God's forgiven you, what am I to be afraid of you, Robbie? Like, what are yeah. you going to do to me? What am I going to do to you? Yep. Um, and so James is helping us see who in our midst uh, might actually be uh, taking advantage of this theology of confession and actually mm-hmm. confessing their sin and being cleansed of this unrighteousness. And I think this has such personal application because for me, when I think of my wife, when I think of my kids— um, when I'm confessing my sins on a regular basis, I'm much more willing to admit wrongdoing mm-hmm. in whatever that circumstance is. Uh, but why? It's because I, there's a habit of confessing my sins to God. And so now I'm not as embarrassed or ashamed or uh, my pride isn't hurt as bad 
um, when I'm admitting wrongdoing to my wife or yeah. to my kid, to my friends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so as a result of confession, there's a direct correlation in terms of my relationships with others, um, in terms of how much I'm confessing my sin and or how little I'm confessing my sin. Yeah, and it takes a humble heart in order to get to a place to want to confess to God or to other people. Like well, it demands it. it demands, yeah. yeah, you cannot do it unless you have a humble heart, dude. I thought that I thought that chapter was so fascinating, and I don't know if this is where. I don't know if this is how you came to that conclusion about it, but you know, James too, right? Like we all have to study that like crazy in seminary and come to conclusions about what we think it means. And I, I, again, we did a podcast a while ago on the, the two different types of justification, meaning how Paul uses it versus how James uses it. And in James two, you know, where, where James talks about Abraham was justified by the works he did. And then in Romans 4, where Paul says, uh, Abraham was justified by the works, but not before God. And I thought it was interesting tying it into what you're saying is James seems to be be in his entire book talking about how we can know who is following the Lord and how we as people can know who's really legit and, and wants to love Jesus. But all we have to go off of is what they do on the outside. But God knows the heart, right? Like you were saying, he's not his brother, Jesus. And so I thought it was interesting like that, James 2, and then and then kind of what it, what it seemed like you were doing is taking that over into, yeah, and if you confess your sins, you've probably already done that in your heart. It just was like kind of mind-blowing to me and also putting puzzle pieces together uh, when that's I was awesome. reading your book, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And and, and because I, I think that's ultimately what I'm what I'm attempting to do is just, is to show you that, that, that the heart is ultimately what is at play here. Mm-hmm. And it's not foolproof by the way, because, because you can still fake it, right? Sure. You can still, um, trick other believers. But I think what James is doing is, is he's just giving us, um, some wisdom as to how we might be able to adjudicate who in our midst, mm-hmm. uh, is righteous and not righteous because they're perfect, but righteous because they're confessing their sins. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, they're cleansed of that unrighteousness. Therefore, they've been made righteous. Uh, and so it's at least giving us an opportunity or a chance. So like, so if, if I'm sick and I'm in the hospital, I'm going to have the person whom I know confesses their sin to God, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to have that person hopefully come pray for me that I know is willing to admit their own wrongdoing and, their, and they'll, they'll, they'll confess their own sin to me mm-hmm. because by doing so, I'm at least I have a little bit more confidence that they've that they've dealt they've they've dealt with this with God first, right? Yes. So they've been forgiven from God, and and so as a result of that, according to James, I'm not making this up, but according to James, those are powerful prayers. Mm-hmm. They call it the prayer of faith. Yep. And so th- th- that's that's what we want to unleash in our churches and within our communities and our small groups is we want to be uh, men and women that possess the prayer of faith. Well, how do you do that? Well, you go first. Yeah, that's your sin. <laughs> yeah, that's right, dude. Yeah, I love that because I th- I think you're, I think it's also fascinating. Like going back to James as a person, because like you brought up, you know, Eusebius and what he writes about his knees, but in Eusebius and in Josephus and all these guys, they always refer to him as James the Just, right? James the right. Righteous, and I think right. that that's fascinating with him saying, "I pray a ton." And I'm in this position because I'm confessing. I don't think he was prescribing for us stuff that he didn't do himself. He seemed so, like that guy. I so agree with that. And 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 for me and 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 I, and I hope for others, it gives us the opportunity not to keep up with the spiritual Joneses. Mm. 
you know, you don't have to have the perfect marriage. You don't have to have the perfect kids, the perfect family, the perfect job. Um, it like there's room. James provides room um, for us to authentically live out our life, pursuing the Lord, right? Attempting mm-hmm. to becoming more like Jesus and less like ourselves, but also dealing with the reality that we're going to mess up. Yes. We're going to sin. And so what do we do as a result of that? Well, let's confess our sins to God, right? And let's confess our sins to one another. Uh, build up one another. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, as a result of that, I mean, that is a, that's a powerful church. It is. Well, and the other thing that results from it, I think that's really interesting is it, is if I, if, if I'm humble enough, obviously to take my sins to God, which again, if you have good theology and you know, he already knows everything, like you talk about earlier in the book, why are you trying to keep anything from him? It's kind of stupid, but it's harder, I think, to, to tell sometimes in my life, it's harder to tell other people and confess my sins to other people than God. Cause I know God's going to forgive me and I know God likes me, but other people might get mad at me and <laughs> might mistreat me. Right. And right. so the, the, the humility to take it to God is one thing. The humility to take it to other people that, you know, in your life that you trust is another, but then the, the humility of the hearer of the confessed sins is also another aspect to where they could get arrogant and prideful and start to think, oh man, Robbie is a dirtbag. Look at that loser. Whereas mm-hmm. they have to humbly accept or listen and not accept, but listen to my confession. And so I think the whole the whole thing really does create a a, a church, create a, a culture, create a community of people that are extremely loving because they're all humble in this entire uh, entire aspect of confession. It's really, it, it'd be beautiful to see. You make me think of something though, too, you know, playing off of, you know, Abraham and, and, and righteousness and things like that, you know, I mean, so what he goes up and he offers his son, Isaac. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, the, the faith within him, the belief in God, I mean, this was demonstrated in his heart long before he ever lifted a knife. Oh to, yeah. Right. I mean, because I mean, it was just all we, that the visible manifestation of the belief within Abraham was his willingness to raise the knife to murder his son, right? Yes. And I think for James, similarly, all confessing sin to one another is, according I think to James, is the visible manifestation of a heart which has already confessed their sin to God. Yep. Because of their willingness to confess their sins to one another, mm-hmm. and so it's not so much it's not this emphasis placed on I need you. As, as a Christian, like we need to make it a part of our discipline to confess our sins sure. to one another. But that's just merely a visible manifestation of a heart which has already confessed that sin to God, yeah. which is very similar to Abraham in that way. Yeah, it's just an outworking of mm-hmm. living in humility before God. Yeah, right. I think so, man. I think that that's great. Well, so so when it all comes down to it, and you get to, okay, your book's been published. It's out there. People are buying it. I've seen it in bookstores. I've seen it you know, online all over the place. What do you hope your readers will do or take away after reading this book? You know, I hope, I hope the readers, I hope the readers walk away. And after spending those chapters with me, I hope that they walk away having enjoyed, um, the theological journey in which we went on together. Mm. It was really important for me not just to give an academic textbook or, or or a piece of literature that just kind of gathers dust on a shelf, but I actually wanted the reader um, to think to themselves, this was kind of fun. 
Like I actually enjoyed thinking about God in this way. So the enjoyment piece is really important to me, actually, um, that, that it would be a, a point of pleasure. And then, and then the other piece I would say is, is just that, that they come to realize that prayer isn't as uh, complex as we've made it to be. Mm-hmm. That, that having a, a conversational relationship with God is not, is not just reserved for a select few or, 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 or only, um, or only these professional Christians to mm-hmm. do this, but that instead, uh, we learn that, boy, I can pray. And you know what? I actually want to give this a try. And so, I mean, if, if, if readers walk away, uh, with that kind of confidence, uh, boy, I would be thrilled. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Well, I think a lot of people are, I know in our group that people are, they're coming away, we kind of refresh from it. And it, it, it's pretty cool, man, because on our Wednesday night group, we have people who've been, you know, raised in the church. And then we have people who have come back to the church after 20 years of walking away. And then we have people who are brand new to Christianity and have only been saved a few months. And so it's really cool to see how this book is really, um, it's written in such a way that it can impact and reach people in all different walks of life, even in spiritual life. So really encouraged by it, man. And I'm really proud of you for writing it and really uh, thankful that you did write it. I'm glad you followed the Lord in, in doing what he told you to do with this. Praise, praise. You know, it's been one of my favorite things as I've gone off, you know, to, you know, to an event of some kind and, you know, the family will pray for me before I leave. And, and one of my favorite things is Lolly, my wife will always tell the boys, like, you know, as she's praying, it's, it's so neat to see what the Lord has done, mm-hmm. uh, through daddy in this endeavor. And, and that's, that sets the tone and it's just been so fun. I just feel like I'm along for the ride and I'm yep. just so thankful <laughs> to be a part of it. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, Hey, I want to mention it again. You guys need to go out and buy this book. The Secret to Prayer by Kyle DeRoberts. Kyle, if people want to follow you or uh, read some more stuff from you, where should they go? Yeah, so um, there's a website, uh, kyledroberts.com. You can find me there. I actually check the emails on that, so feel free to reach out to me that way. Uh, And then just on any kind of social media platform, it's K. Uh, D Roberts, KD Roberts is my handle. And so you can find me in any of those. Really, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere except for TikTok. Amen. I will not Amen venture to that. into that world. We're too old for that, is. man. I don't even this know what's is, going that, on that there. Yeah. Feels, feels awkward. <laughs> remember MySpace? Remember when that was cool? That was, that was great. Anyway, well, hey, we'll put, <laughs> we'll put a link to your website in the show notes, a link to the book in the show notes. And again, be watching social media, everyone, because we are going to have a book giveaway and you can win a free copy of The Secret to Prayer. Well, Kyle... Dude, thanks so much for being on. And I did want to say one last thing before we get done. Um, Because, yeah, we've known each other, I mean, 19 plus years now. That's a long time. And uh, I'm just encouraged by you because um, I don't know about you, but like some of the people we went to school with in Bible college, they didn't all keep walking with the Lord. And so it's just always Mm. encouraging to me for people that I've known for a long time have continued in the faith and continue serving Jesus, continue doing what they're called to do. And so I'm just proud of you, man. You're doing awesome stuff at ACU and at Phoenix M and at Scottsdale Bible and in writing. So keep up the good work and keep following the Lord. 
Robbie, it means more than you know. I love you like a brother, and uh, I'm just I'm thankful for your friendship. We have we've known each other for a long time, so it's been it's been a, it's been a fun ride. It has, man. Well, thanks so much for being on today, and thank all of our uh, viewers and listeners for watching Christ Culture and Coffee. And Tyler and I will be back next week with another episode. But make sure if you have questions or you have comments about this episode, reach out to me, reach out to Kyle. Let us know on social what you thought of this. Also, if you have questions about apologetics or theology that you'd like us to tackle on the show, go ahead and send us a message with that, and we will hopefully be able to get to that in a a future episode. Thanks again so much, though, for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and we will catch you guys next week. If you enjoyed the show and felt that this podcast was beneficial to you, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you become a Level 4 supporter on our Patreon page, you can get yourself one of our Stoneware, Christ Culture, and Coffee mugs, as well as a t-shirt and a sticker. We are available on all podcasting platforms, as well as YouTube, and we are also available on all social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee.